Welcome to another edition of With a Little Help from My Friends. I'm Steve Shanahan, and this is my friend Luke Beard. How are you, my friend? I'm okay, friend. Lots of repetition of the word friend there. Well, it's a show about friends. And it's in the, it's in the it's title. In the title. It's in the you title. ask me how I'm doing. You're, you're fine. I'm just fine. You've been here for an hour and 20 what, minutes What now? I've got a little story to tell you, though? Oh, go on, then. I do have a story to tell you. The thing, is, the thing is, this story was a lot more relevant when I first arrived, rather okay. than an hour and a half ago, since we've been fiddling with wise. I had, a, I had some soup earlier. It's good soup. Right. Oxtail soup, my favourite soup. I uh, I got some bread, I cut it up, toasted mm. it, I dipped it in, I got distracted for a moment, mm. the bread fell into the soup. No. Yeah, I didn't even have a spoon on me, and I saw it just sort of sink through as the soup took on, as the as the bread took on weight, it right. just sort of sunk to the bottom, and I, I never saw it again. It really ruined, really ruined the that. soup. I'm sorry to hear that. Right. For the record, I'm giving you a friendly pat on the back. It's, it feels feel very better. friendly. Thank you, mate. Anyway, you know, that's that kind of ruined my day. But other than that, I'm all right. It improved when you when you saw me. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> I implied. It was implied. Now, we've got a new segment on the show. It's called Beatles News. Beatles News. Beatles News. Beatles News, Beatles News. <laughs> Hopefully, if you were listening, there should have been a jingle there. There you go. So we're going to do that from now on every week. Although we're not necessarily going to do movie news every week, or in fact a podcast every week. But whenever we do a podcast, we're going to do movie news. Yeah. Not movie now, news, Beatles News. Beatles News. Movie News? You just said movie news like oh, several no. times. I'm thinking of my old podcast. <laughs> yeah, you've got another podcast. <laughs> what the hell? Stop, quiet you, quiet you. <laughs> right, Beatles News. Yeah. Our Beatles News podcast we were talking about this last time on yeah. the show we we're talking about the idea that the beatles are sacrilege and above being used uh, as a ploy to sell material goods this week their music specifically uh, paul mccartney's golden slumbers is featured in the john lewis advert that's just started airing in the last couple of days i've already seen it twice yeah because it's impossible to miss I've have you seen it. it i've only heard it I've by only... elbow I, I, I like Elbow generally. Mm. I do like, but I feel very vindicated because mm. even though even though the podcast was released after the release of the the advert, mm. I still said mm. this is a very common thing for Beatles songs is that they get recorded in a slightly more somber, slightly slower, more emotional tone, mm. and then used to sell things like I don't know Christmas items. Yeah. I've got. We- I feel weird about the John Lewis thing. I don't know how you feel about it, mate. But people getting excited about things designed to sell me things always confuses me. That's so this happens with the John Lewis advert every mm-hmm. year. People are sharing it on Facebook. Yep. They're posting about it on Twitter. They're getting excited about it before it even happens. It's pathetic. <laughs> I won't go as far as I'm going to jump the gun and say it's pathetic. It happens with the Coca-Cola truck Fucking that truck, goes around yeah. at Christmas. People get super psyched about that mm. I mean are we just miserable old men yes I don't like it I really don't I don't know why anyone would really I don't I don't like how it's been I mean it's fundamental you're taking something that is joyful and special yeah. like Christmas and using it to sell to shill things I don't like it it's not right you're, what, being, you're being ironic there because that's like the whole idea of Christmas now. no mate Christmas is about spending time with your friends <laughs> and family and occasionally watching beer and watching uh, the Lord of the Rings. It's not about. It's not about buying things. 
No, is it not? It's not about buying things. It's not about selling things. I feel things. like I've been tricked all these years then. Mm. Of course, it's about selling things. I think the problem with this advert is, and it's every year, is... I mean, it's fundamentally trying to manipulate you. It's Absolutely. Trying, it's, trying to associate, it's trying to associate, you know, buying things mm. with, you know, the emotional connection to your family. Mm. When really, you should perhaps have an emotional connection to your family... Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Regardless of mining things, but you know it is nice to buy things. I hate, I hate being, I just hate being manipulated. And when mm. I hear the, when I hear the Beatles on an advert, um, I don't, I imagine, I imagine Yoko and Paul are getting a nice, tasty paycheck from it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I can't really, I can't really blame them. But it, it makes, it actually has the opposite effect on me. Mm. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I feel dirty. Mm. I feel mm. wrong because mm. it's, it's like you used the word sacrosanct before. It's, it's protected territory in my view. Mm. It's like the DMZ. I thought I was above um, being... I thought I was too smart to be advertised to and be pandered to that way. Um, I remember reading in a menu this ginormous advert for Coca-Cola and I said, <laughs> look at this humongous advert. I'll have a Coke, please. <laughs> um, and I've always wondered, yeah, I, would I have done that otherwise? I think that's about the ubiquity of Coke. Not Possibly. about... Not about... Oh, Why I don't they need these massive trucks? Why? Who needs them? Mm-hmm. Everyone buys drinks Coke anyway. That's why they're so popular, though, is that they've combined they've that's combined the, their ubiquity with their ability to market. What is it in Election? Yes. The movie Election, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, Reese Witherspoon's character says Coca-Cola spend more money on advertising every year than any other soft drinks company. And that's why they're number one. That's why they're number one. Have they ever used a Beatles song? Coca-Cola. They must have done. Uh, I can't think of any. I mean, right. their most famous song is that I want to teach the world to sing, isn't it? Which is a Coca-Cola song. And again, people love that song. They love that, that thing. They num- download it on iTunes and all sorts. That was a number one record. Was it? That was a number one after the yeah, Coca-Cola advert. I mean, if you're talking about marketing, commercialising something, it's a work of pure genius. Mm. I think, personally, these John Lewis adverts now have gone too far. But, I mean... We're being very negative about it right now, but there are positives to the advert. It is a very well-directed piece of cinema. It's, it's, it's wonderful in that you've got fantastic, fantastic filmmakers, good acting, really good like puppetry. Mm-hmm. Would it be puppetry? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a puppet and it's CGI and it might even be a bloke in a suit. Yeah, and, the mu- and, and actually Elba are a cracking band. They're a brilliant band, mm. and you can tell they've actually put some thought into doing Golden Slumbers. But did I w- they, though, or did oh. someone say, do you want to do Golden Slumbers and we'll give you X number? And they go, yeah, okay. Or maybe they didn't put that much thought into it, but I think they naturally gravitate towards making good music. And money. Yeah, uh, they definitely gravitate towards that. Would you Would you have, interesting, would you have said no? Say you're in a band. Yeah. Would you have said no to John Lewis... Um, I would have to be insane to say no to the John Lewis Christmas advert. What that's going to do for your sales is insane. I would say yes, I would do it. Yeah, you would. Even even if you said no, unless this was some kind of dictatorship, the other three members of your band would definitely Mm. say yes. Tommy G would have said no. Al would have said yes. That's my band, by the way, for anyone listening. They were terrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I will say that even though Elbow are quite a successful band, it is really hard these days to make money and good money if you're a musician so I don't really blame I don't really blame people having their songs in adverts just as an example I went to see Feel Music on Saturday night and I've had conversations with uh, Dave Brewis one of the members of Feel Music in the past and he had a song about four years ago on a car advert and he said basically he paid for the next album right if without that we might have split up so there's definitely some justification to it no doubt about it let's have a quick listen to what are you kidding me? 
to the song, to the to the to the cover of Golden Slippers. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once there was a way to get back home. So there you go, that was the John Lewis Christmas advert. Uh, I didn't think it was that good, to be honest. I think Paul Sherwin. Yeah, what do you think of the cover? I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> I, I normally like Elbow. I'm yeah. a big fan of their 2005 album, Leave the Freer World. But, but And their beer. That is a nice beer, it's yeah. Build a Rocket Boys, that was a good beer. Um, but I, 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 don't like the way, I don't like the way he says, sing a lullaby Mm. It's, he kind of delays it mm. and like emphasizes it mm. so that it's more emotional. I also think it. Sorry, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. No, that's about it. I also think like we talked about this a little bit last week, doing different versions of songs. I think it's different if you're going to do a, a Spanish-infused cover of mm. Golden Slumbers. But if you're just going to do a, a, almost an identical riff on Paul McCartney's version, just worse. Like, why bother? I agree you're not that. as good of a singer as Paul McCartney. You're never going to be. That was exactly. him at absolute top game. Mm-hmm. Why bother? And they so, and they got rid of the drums as well. Yeah. Like that's one of the best. That's one of the best moments in the songs. Is the mm-hmm. drum fill. Yeah, but it, it's not sad enough. Oh, that's true. Drums are too happy. It, you can't make children cry with drums. <laughs> I, I can give it a go. So um, if you care about your uh, family this Christmas or about aliens returning to their homelands, you should shop at John Lewis. Mm. Moving on. Subject today. I've got. Well, before we get to the subject, <laughs> we've got a little. I've got a little brain teaser for you. Go on. Right. This is a line from a Beatles song. Mm. Well, you can imitate everyone you know. What's that from? I know that. Oh, God. Why do I not know this one? The clock is ticking, my friend. Same songs. What? Same songs? Different songs. That, that That's a line from a song. Okay. Well, you can, t- in, you can imitate everyone you know. Embarrassing myself. It's Dig a Pony from the White ah! Album. Oh, terrible. Terrible, man. That's how it goes. Very good. Now, we're moving on to our main topic of the show this week. We're, luckily, we're only a few minutes into the podcast, so, you know, it's probably a, a good time to bring up the main show. We're looking at the Cavern Club, so this is not necessarily um, an album or a song. This is more of an era and a place. Mm. Now, the Beatles are obviously insanely famous um, in Britain, and, and Britain, the UK, is very famous for their being home of the Beatles, London especially, Liverpool even more so, and if there was a place in Liverpool, a mecca, as you may say, for Beatles fans, mm. it must be the Cavern Club. Luke, tell us about the Cavern Club. What is it? When did it start? Well, I mean... If you don't know the Cavern Club, you've, you've let's assume been, that you don't. Let's assume that you don't. Then, uh, essentially, it was and still is in another entity, a basement club on Matthew Street in Liverpool. Uh-huh. Um, it's basically based on a jazz club in Paris. Paris. Yeah, Le Caveau de la Huchette. Oh, very good. I didn't know what it was called. <laughs> very good. And basically, a gentleman named Alan Seitner uh, spent some time in Paris. Was a big jazz fan. Opened it. 
in 16th of January 1957. So at that time, we're talking about Liverpool in the mid-50s. So what, we're talking like a decade after the war. Yeah. Um, I assume there would have been a lot of pubs. Yeah. Public houses, but that's probably it. Matthew Street, I think, was just public houses. If I'm not mistaken. Was there even was there still rationing at that point? Uh, no, Ration, rationing is finished. Nineteen fifty four, fifty five. Okay, but we're talking like so probably within a year or so of rationing finishing. Yeah, this, part, this place opens. It's around that time. Mm. I mean, the the Beatles would have spent all of their formative years in under rationing, basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Until sort of the age of thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, that sort of thing. Um, but nineteen fifty seven. Um, Definitely, rock and roll wasn't on the scene in the UK at the time. Something called skiffle was though. Skiffle, skiffle is very similar to rock and roll. It sounds very, very similar. Um, if you listen to the very early Beatles stuff, mm. the Quarrymen, um, that's skiffle. That's skiffle. Uh, if anybody's interested in skiffle, Mark Kermode, the film critic, has a, um, oh, he has a skiffle band, doesn't he? Quite a good skiffle. I forgot band. about that. I think there there must be the most popular skiffle band in the UK right now because I can't, I can literally name no others. Mm. Um, I think the idea of skiffle was that you could um, it was made using very improvised instruments yes washboards, washboards pans spoons a whistle, lot of whistling whistles the Jewish harp that sort of thing banjos were a key part of it so it's like a fusion of country tears tears audience tears you know <laughs> the sound of people leaving it was big by then mate I know <laughs> big <laughs> So, I completely lost my train sorry, of thought. sorry, you're talking about band. You're talking about the Cavern Club. It's just opened. It's 1950. Yeah. So, it's primarily a jazz club, but they occasionally did some skiffle. Occasionally did some skiffle. I think what it means to the Beatles is... Do you know how many times they played there? Um, I'm not sure exactly. It's, it's something like 300 times, something crazy like that. Just shy of 300. Right. It's either 292 times... Right. ...or 280 times. I'll say 92. Yeah, just more. Yeah. 150 times, 155 times at lunchtime, because they used to do lunchtime shows. What between what? Just and just 155 times they played one lunch. Yep. Wow. And then it's a long lunch. 125 evening shows. So so people used to literally, if you were working in the area, because Matthew Street's pretty much dead in the centre of Liverpool, you would run over in your lunch hour, skip lunch, and go watch the Beatles play a show. Fantastic. Just as an example, Sue Johnston from the Royal Family, Barb's. Oh, yeah. She used to go. She used to work at the tax office. Really? She's 17 years old. And that's, that's brilliant. Uh, she used to go at lunchtime. And then they'd often, because they were crazy hard work in the Beatles, they would often do a show in the evening as well. Now, the Beatles weren't the only band to play at the Cavern Club. Um, I've got a few of them in front of me here. So, in the decades that followed the Beatles, and we'll, we'll properly get into the Beatles in a second, mm-hmm. but... The Cavern Club was also home to the very, very early Rolling Stones. Really? Yep. Uh, before, you know, when they were still doing covers and. Oh yeah, they um, played there. The Yardbirds, the Hollies, yeah, the Kinks, sense. Elton John, mm. Black Sabbath, Queen, The Who, and John Lee Hooker. I would say though that virtually, in fact, I would say all of these are post-Beatles. Yeah, they are all post-Beatles. The, the Beatles yeah. made it what it was. Yeah. Um, not just the Beatles. People are part of the Mersey Beat scene as well made it what it was. I take you know who the Hat Check Girl was. I do. Scylla Black. Scylla Black? <laughs> She's great. I was reading a story about Ringo, and okay. um, he and Scylla Black, their mothers were friends. Is that so, true? Yeah, so he knew her way, way back. And when he first started playing at the Cavern, while he wasn't in the Beatles... Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. And the Hurricanes, correct. Um, apparently all the bands knew that Scylla Black sung, and they would 
always invite her up to stage and she'd always kind of do this pretend like oh no and then immediately she'd be up there um did you watch um it was just i think it was just called scylla it was on about a year or two ago mm. starring uh, sheridan smith as scylla black oh right really that was brilliant was it and she was great you know who signed scylla brian epstein brian epstein I know. which brings me on to say that the, brian epstein basically epstein 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 i think epstein yeah he he first saw the beatles there right so that's how important it is so the history of the Beatles is that essentially they were discovered by Brian Epstein there. Do um, you before we get into that because that's a little further down the line? Do yeah. you know about how they first got their gig at the the cavern? I love the story. You go ahead. You tell I it. I love the story. I, well, before I'll preface it by saying there's so many stories like like my mum knew Silla Black's yep. mum. There's so many little connections. It feels like a really local club where everybody everybody knows people, everybody remembers each other, and everybody has some sort of relation because. Alan Seitner was the owner of the club, and one of John Lennon's mates was playing golf with Alan Seitner's father, Dr. John Seitner, and just said, is it okay if... Uh, if I book my band. Book my he, was managing, band. he was managing the yeah, band. that's right. And he said, no, you're going to play the golf course. You've got to play the golf course, and we'll <laughs> test it. We'll test it, and then, and then we'll, we'll let see. you play. So they played the golf club, but this was as the coin man. Um, and they passed. They passed, and then they got a gig. And do you know the first time John Lennon actually played there on August the 7th, 1957? Wow. Do you know um, Paul McCartney joined the Quarrymen? Because this it was, was about the nearly a year, oh, less than a year later, right? No, no, one month before. Oh. One month before they met at, at Walton right. at right. Village Fate, so they were in the band. Do you know why he couldn't play that gig? I'm going to say he broke his leg. Much better. Go on. He was away at scout camp. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, he was 14. Yeah, of no, course. 14 right. or 15. And, uh, yeah, I absolutely adore that story. John Lennon, he, um, he, they were arguing amongst themselves before they went on saying... About the set to play. Yeah, we're going to play some yeah. skiffle, we're going to play a little rock and roll. It was mainly a jazz club. And they, they played a couple of rock and roll numbers. So they played blues, I think they played Blue Sway Shoes and Hound Dog, if I'm right. mistaken. And John Lennon, someone passed John Lennon a note as he was on stage, and he said, we've got a request. And inside the note it said, cut out the bloody rock and roll, written by the owner, because rock and roll was actually banned... So, um, yeah, it was primarily a jazz club. It wasn't until 1960 when Ray McFall took over that it really, really it turned into a rock and roll club. Yeah, exactly. And even then he was... The beat scene. Yeah, exactly. Even then he was still dabbling with it, though. He, he still wasn't sure. He, they would only do rock and roll at lunchtimes. Right. So the first time the Beatles played there was at lunchtime, 1 till, one till 2, 9th of February 1961. And this is when they'd just come back from Hamburg. George Harrison and Stu, Cl- Stu Sutcliffe were still in the band. Yeah. Pete Best was the drummer. Harrison wasn't allowed in at first because he's he was wearing, too young. He's wearing jeans. Oh right. He had jeans on, so there was strict strict dress code as well. But they, because he was in the band, they let him on. Um, so they were supposed to have been excellent because they'd just spent three months in Hamburg honing their skills, playing ten hours a day. I read that they were billed as a as a, as a Hamburg band, so people thought they were from Germany. I think that people were surprised they were English. That's largely true, but not relevant to that gig at the Cavern. Right. That was a gig at uh, Liv- not Liverpool Town Hall, um, Liverland. Liverland. Which is a part of, which is another town or city, um, but that was at their town hall. It's it's in Sefton in Merseyside. Oh right, okay. Yeah, so sent, basically, right in Liverpool, essentially. But that they everyone thought they were German because mm. they were, were billed as straight from Germany, the Beatles. I absolutely, um, absolutely love the stories around this because it, it, it does feel like everybody knew, everybody knew everybody. It's my favourite 
well, it's not my favourite thing, but it's one of my favourite things about the Beatles, and it's the main reason that I thought doing a podcast might be fun, mm. is that there's so much about them, so many weird little nuances and weird little mm. stories that you can kind of weave into yeah. the narrative that I thought would be really fun. I mean, one thing that's worth noting is that very, very soon after the cavern opened, the Beatles were playing there. So they they opened one year, and I believe they were play, they were booked there the next year. We're talking... Less than that. Right. Less than that. I mean... It opened... Can you imagine? You think, oh, you know what? I've been to Paris. I like the look of some of these bars. Everywhere in England, there's just public houses. I'm going to try one of these. Oh, you know what? I'm playing golf with this kid. Fine, I'll, I'll just book the greatest band of all time. Like, well, I exactly. suppose I may as well. It's only been open a few months. What's the worst that's going to happen? Well, Can you Al- imagine? Alan, Alan Siner, he, he, was literally, he was literally drinking in a pub called The Grapes on Matthew Street. And they said, I really want to open this club. Went to these great jazz clubs in Paris. Walked out. Saw this basement that had a for sale sign on it. I was like, why don't you just do it there? One day later, he went drinking in the pub again and said, yeah, boy. Right. That's, that's how like ad hoc it was. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. But I think it was about... So it was 1957 when they opened it, and mm-hmm. in August 1957, that was the first time the Quarrymen played. Right. That was the first time the Quarrymen played. But, so, but it, wasn't four, it wasn't until four years later that the Beatles played again. Okay. As the Beatles. So Brian Epstein... Uh, Epstein. You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> so he went to see them at the cabin. What was he even doing there? Well, he uh, he owned a, a music shop in Liverpool. In Liverpool, yeah, called Nems. Right. Called N E M S Music Shop. So uh, uh, virtually all the musicians like knew of Brian Epstein. Right. So it would be a, it would be almost like, oh, Brian's coming in. Yeah. Watch what you're doing. To the point where on their first gig, he he skipped the queues because there's massive queues outside every time apparently. He skipped the queues and he got a welcome from the compare as well. Okay, so I didn't know this. So when he saw them. He presumably was going specifically to see them. It wasn't like he just happened to be in the cavern and they were playing. He thought, "Ooh, this is this is pretty good." So he he specifically they were, they already had a fan base at that point. They already had a fan base. They already right. they already had a, a name, and they the name was repeated quite a lot uh, in newspapers. Saw posters all over the place. They had quite a passionate fan base that would actually put posters up. Right, right, right. Like that. So he he definitely was going to see them, and he went with his assistant. Um, and they, and it was a lunchtime showing as right. well. It was a lunchtime showing. I've always imagined that happening at night. Oh, and they went for dinner afterwards, and uh, the assistant was like, I thought they were pretty poor. Really? Pretty, I think he <laughs> went tremendously awful, was the quote that Brian Who's his assistant? Something like George McAllister, something like that. Mm. I can't remember. Brian Epstein was like, I think they were amazing. Right. He knew immediately. Yeah. He knew immediately. Knew immediately. But he, he needed to... He needed to find a way of sort of getting rid of that raw energy or keeping the raw energy, sorry, and channeling it. Professionalise them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Because they could play. They just spent months in Hamburg playing 10-hour shows. They could definitely play. And they had a fan base. People go crazy for them in, in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So they knew there was something there. They just he, just... he just acknowledged that they needed something else to take them to the next level. Sorry, you just said... They went to Hamburg. I thought Brian Epstein sent them to Hamburg. He did the second time. Okay. But the first time, was they were sent by their first manager, Alan Williams. Okay, so the story about, um, you know, stopping eating chicken on stage and all that, that was their first manager then, not... I actually don't know who that would have been. Hmm. I would imagine, because they went multiple times. Right. I think they went three times to Hamburg. Right. Alan Williams definitely sent them the first time. And, and then I think... I think 
they broke con- a contract with him. Right, like yeah, that. I've heard something about trouble. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. McCartney and Beth were both McCartney and Pete Beth were both arrested, and ha- and Harrison was deported from Hamburg from, from Germany because he was underage. Working. Yes, so it was a, it was a bit of a disaster. It was a bit of a disaster. The story that I heard, sorry, just to jump back no, to no, this chicken ahead. thing, is um, I thought it was Brian Epstein saw them and said like, oh, you know, you guys are great, but you need to. You need to change your look, you need to dress a certain way, and you need to be different on stage. Um, you need to be more polished on stage. Because apparently it, it kind of was summed up to John Lennon as, do you want to eat chicken on stage or do you want to be famous? He was famous for, well, not famous, but he apparently enjoyed a bit of chicken, a bit of takeaway <laughs> chicken in Hamburg all, while he was on stage. To be fair, again, he was up there for 10 hours at a time. You know, It's not that surprising he needed a they bit of to. a break now and then. Yeah, they had to. I I think it was I think the first time it was such a such a disaster, mm. and it was torturous. They're in this tiny room, um, and then they they came back to Liverpool, got themselves a bit of a name, got themselves you know manager extraordinaire Brian Epstein, Steen. and um, and I think they did another set. They did another few months there, I believe, and that's when it came. That's when the subject came up. Right. You know, basically professionalise yourself. Yeah, yeah. Get yourselves get yourself to the standards needed to be a star. Which they did, obviously. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Um that chicken that chicken thing that I have heard, Lennon it was Lennon's so I think Lennon described it as like uh, more metaphorical. Oh, okay. So it wasn't than, literal. I don't think it was literal. Oh. But let's go uh, back let's... I like the idea of metaphorical chicken anyway. Well know. they would have eaten on stage. I'm on, I'm on board for that. Have you read the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers? Is this about doing 10,000 hours, 100,000 hours or something? 10,000 hours. 10,000. I don't want to get into the details of that, but he sure. talks about... he talks about Eating chicken on stage. ...what they did in Hamburg. Eating chicken on stage. And that's what they did. These used to have to take... Um, they used to have to take... Drugs. Drugs. Yeah, lots of them, yeah. To keep going. Otherwise, they wouldn't get paid for the day. If right. They, if they played poorly or they didn't um, they didn't finish the set. Oh, there you go. Sin City, maybe. You got to do what you got to do. Sin City. Sin City. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, just to go back to the Cavern Club... It was a terrible, terrible place. Did you know that? As in, it was a shithole. Is that true? Yeah, it was horrible. Uh, it was tiny. I mean... You, oh, I've been in it. You've been to the, you've been to the current well, one. Well, I've been to the current one, yeah. The old one's much, much worse, apparently. I thought I thought the old one was bigger than the current one. The old one is bigger than the current one. But if you think about it... Just put it this way. It the current have, one's pretty roomy. It didn't have proper toilets. Right. And it was in a cellar. And, right. And occasionally they would fit 500 people into that cellar. So there was literally be condensation on the walls. Apparently, the, the latrines that people basically shat in, they wouldn't clean them. They just put disinfectant over the top of them. Ah. Yeah, that's the standard. It was the 60s. The standard it was a different 60s. time. 50s. It was the 50s. It was a different time. Um, so the Beatles go away, and the Cavern Club becomes semi-famous and becomes semi-attached and associated with the Beatles very early on. So yeah. they start performing. They're back from Hamburg. They're performing all the time there. This is obviously brilliant business for the Cavern. Mm-hmm. And the Beatles are just... They're starting to age out, though. They're starting to get bigger. They're starting to get... The, the crowds that are crowding into this tiny little space Absolutely. are starting to get too big. What's going through your head if you're the Beatles and you're, you're playing in the Cavern, but you know you're just a little bit... Oh, I'm outgrowing this. I think John Lennon was the most visceral, most visceral in saying, I'm, "I'm done with this. I'm above this now." Right. Just as an example, on his last, sh- on on the very last show that they did there, which was third uh, of August 1963, 
they were. I think they made their first TV appearance, UK TV appearance on Granada, possibly one year before. I right. think in, in October. So they were already getting a big, already getting a big crowd. The the fact that they played the Cavern was an accident that day as well. They hadn't been there for they hadn't been there for for months. Oh right, why did they play it then? They had a contractual obligation to play at a place called the Grafton. Right. The night before in Liverpool, um, Brian Epstein Stein thought that. They had to basically. He tried to get them out of it, but he thought, well, if you're in Liverpool, you might as well do the Cavern Club. The night yeah, after, yeah. Just to, just as a, almost like a last hurrah. Mm-hmm. They didn't feel it as that, but it certainly felt that way. Certainly felt that way. I think uh, at the end of it, John Lennon said, and I quote, according to, uh, according to what was the gentleman, Tony Crane of the Mersey Beats, he says that John Lennon literally said, "We never should have come back here." <laughs> <laughs> Oh up. man, he could be savage, couldn't he? He, was a whole, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a nice man. He was honest. That was funny. He though. was honest. That's a great line. You can imagine someone like the stories of George Harrison going to the Cavern Club and buying people fish and chips who were waiting outside. Yeah. yeah. Paul McCartney went back again in 1968 because he, you know, he said it's a big part of my youth. John Lennon, that's how he felt about it. We <laughs> 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 should never have come back here because that wasn't that was it was a terrible gig because of the condensation on the walls. Yeah. The power cut out. Oh right, I've oh, heard no. about this. Okay, so that was there. That was there. That was the very last gig they did. And the the, the Beatles, they they were used to, they were now used to a level of professionalism. They'd got the suits out, they were cutting their hair properly, they were playing music halls generally, mm-hmm. and they'd been on TV. Yeah. And I think they'd done a tour of Sweden as well. So you know they were they were they were getting popular, no doubt about it. And also the security there wasn't that good on the night. In what sense? There was only, there was five hundred people in a tiny basement room and then four of the biggest pop stars in, in England sounds like a party I know John Lennon got his uh, trou- he got his not his trousers his jacket sleeve ripped did he? yeah I bet that was an expensive jacket it would have been I then. bet it was yeah that tailored they, they got paid on their first gig a fiver right. so that's a fiver split four ways or, or how many ways? yeah four, five five ways that's alright let me do the maths yeah five ways because Stu Sutcliffe was in the band at that point right yeah. right and then the last time they played, got paid 300 quid. 300 quid. Which is a lot of money. Four ways. A lot of money that way. Back, back then, sorry. A lot mm. of money. I wonder if it was even worth it. I mean, I suppose it must have been worth it for the cavern. 300 quid. So, but, I mean, presumably that's the whole night's takings. Not for their level, 300 quid probably wasn't that good. Right. But, you know, 300 quid back then was a lot of money. Yeah, why not? No doubt about it. I'd take 300 quid now for a gig, Jesus. So would I. Unless I got paid was 155. How many ways was that? Um, two ways Al left early That's so not me, bad Me and Tom had it That's not bad that <laughs> 70 quid Luckily Al's never going to listen to this So uh, <laughs> He'll never find out He won't do it He'll be fine <laughs> He's got a sense of humour um, So yeah That was the last time they played In 1963 they were, they were basically I think She Loves You Had been out for a month or two Maybe even a bit longer So they were basically They were having number one records and yeah, yeah Playing basement clubs Yeah yeah it was time to move on, obviously. Everyone Definitely. knows that. And moved on, they did. Mm-hmm. So, as we've mentioned, the Cavern played host to a series of up-and-coming... I mean, lots of artists, but some ones that really broke through and, and went massive, especially the Rolling Stones. And, as we mentioned, Scylla Black, yeah, all, uh, who was the Kocek girl. Jerry and the Pacemakers. Yes. Jerry and the Pacemakers. Who, do you know them? Yes. Uh, got a really the- famous song that's associated with Liverpool... Let me think, what could it be? Um, to, to me, as a Manchester United fan, it is literally the worst song in the world. Oh, right. But it's actually quite good. What song. is it? 
You'll never walk alone. Oh, of course it is. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay, fine. Alone. That's probably why I know who they are. That, that would be the main reason. Yeah. Uh, also, the Hollies played there quite a lot, because mm-hmm. they're running from down the road in Manchester. Uh, the, a band called, creatively, the Mersey Beats. Um, bunch of bunch of big bands. The Escorts. As I understand it... Um, Bobby Storm and the Hurricanes. <laughs> well, that was before the Beatles, wasn't it? Yeah, but they would have played the Cavern as well. I suppose. Um, as I understand it, the Cavern also became sort of a, a bit of a mecca for record producers. Brian Epstein, Epsteiny types um, who would travel up from London yeah. and take a look at the Cavern Club, a couple of bars in Manchester, looking for that next big yeah. northern band. Most of them would never let, really left London. Of course. So there was like, there was untapped talent, basically. I mean, we still have a lot of London bands mm-hmm. in the UK, but we've also, I mean... Although, I don't know, more bands probably are still from London that are classically, that are big in Britain, would you not say? I mean, we, there's there's a few from Manchester, there's a few from Liverpool that are working today, but... I don't know. I, I, it's interesting what you're saying. Like, um, the, the Cavern, or Liverpool as a city, it sort of, and it sort of gave bands that were local a, a platform mm-hmm. that they never would have had before. Because, I mean, again, it's important to know that those, those places, those live music venues for rock and roll just didn't exist. Basically, they, they, did, they literally didn't exist. Yeah. Unless you're in London. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I am happy to say that the Beatles probably wouldn't be the Beatles without the Cavern Club. Probably not. And the Cavern Club would not be the Cavern Club without the Beatles. That's definitely true. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. We'll get on to that in a second when we talk about the kind of modern-day Cavern Club. Yeah. Um, but moving through the years, Paul McCartney went back, though. He did. That must have been a special gig. 1999. He went back. Now, in the years between his last play and his performance in the 90s... That would have been 36, 37 years. That's like two Lion Kings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, all, that's, long, that's half of Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, yes. Well, I'm, I'm going to use the Lion King from now on as, as a system of measurement. Right, okay. So, you know, oh, so it's been, what, 25 years? That's two Lion Kings. That's three Lion Kings, four Lion Kings. That's what I'm going to go Is with. Is the Lion King 25 years ago? It's about that, isn't it? 90, 92, 93? Yeah, I guess so. 94, I think it was. 94. Okay. So, yeah, we're talking huh. 20-ish. 20-ish years. Um, Lion, a few Lion Kings. A few Lion Kings. <laughs> um, it had closed. Yeah. And... Do you know why? Uh, is it something to do with the train station? Yeah, the bastards. It was the train station, British yeah. British Rail. I've, I've, I've got a beef with British Rail just in my everyday life. But this really, um, really pisses me off as well. In 1973, they purchased it compulsory. Put compulsory right. Purchase, so they had. They basically said, "We're taking it." And the council got on that. And it's insane to know that, you know, the Beatles had only split up a few years before that. Yeah. For you years. know, like. Yeah. It was still. It was one of the biggest clubs in the world at that point, yeah, and they literally said, "Oh, we're taking it over." Do you know so why they now. took it over? They want to build a new underground. That, I take it this never happened. Well, having, having been to Liverpool quite a few times, yes. there's no underground. No, there isn't, no. They never even fucking did it. Oh, God. So they filled in the original Cavern Club. They, like, they filled it in with cement. Good Lord. <laughs> uh, and they didn't even do anything with it in the end. Uh, they reopened it, slash rebuilt it, in the early 80s. I think it reopened in 1984. Now... Under its current uh, iteration. Yeah, sure. So the... So I know some people have a bit of beef about the idea of it kind of reopening 
um, and that it's not the same place, and it's not it's not the it's not the technically it's not the ground that the Beatles played on. It's not even the same site. It's the same stage though, and it's the same bricks. Most a lot of the bricks are the same. A lot of the same bricks. They took the bricks, didn't they? Yeah. But the, if you same go, stage. If you go down Matthew Street now, you see the Capitol entrance. Mm-hmm. There it is, and then really next door, and you look down, and there's like a basement window. Yeah. And or oh, it's more like a. I don't know, it's like a man- manhole, I guess. Yeah. That's where it actually was. Yeah. So it's kind of on the same side, but it's just next door. It, it's, I think uh, some of the ground is the same ground. I, th- I think so, I'm yeah. cor- I think I'm correct in saying yeah. Um And it's not, na- so uh, Paul McCartney played there in the 90s. Yeah, he played there in the 90s. They're still, still gigging today. In fact, I looked at the Twitter today and Steve Van Zandt of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. He's doing an acoustic set there tomorrow. Now, I went there... Um, it was quite a while ago now, I think about it. About half a Lion King ago, I went. Um, yeah, no, probably less than that, less than that. I think, I think I went in 2010, I think it was. I think I went around a similar time. Right. Um, and did you, I take it, did you, sign a, did you sign a brick? Yeah, I signed a brick, yeah. Where did you sign? Can you remember? Move, I think. Yeah, I sound right. I'm quite, I'm quite tall. I'm so I was stage right, and I'm, I'm on a brick. I'm one, I was one of the first bricks on the roof because they'd only just started using the roof when I signed it. Now I don't know. Do they clean them off? I would imagine so. They must do, mustn't they? Yeah. I couldn't possibly have been the first person to sign the roof. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, they told me it wasn't though. They told me they didn't clean it though. Seven years ago, man. I'd love to see if it's there. I'd love to see if it's there. How many American tourists? I know exactly where. I know exactly American where it would have written over it. Probably a lot, but I know exact. I can remember vividly where I signed it, so I'd, I'd love to check it if it's there. Hey, we'll go. We'll go. We'll have to do a day trip. That'd be great. Um, and when you went, what did you see there? Because I, I basically spent the whole day there because obviously I love the place and it was. Yeah. It was a Beatles mecca. It's brilliant. I, I, I mean, it's brilliant to be in that space. The, the bar itself is. Pretty good. It's, it's a very good bar. I like the bar a lot. It's nice that they do a lot of live music still. They absolutely do. Daily so they do live music. When I went, um, I saw, I think about three Beatles cover bands. So again, I got there at probably one in the afternoon. I stayed mm. until probably nine at night, ten mm. at night. I saw about three different Beatles cover bands. Three. Yeah, yeah. One of them was really good. Yeah. Um, I think they were called The Two of Us or Just The Two of Us, something like that. They were really good. Um, I loved it. Now... You could argue that it's a bit of a novelty band. It's a little bit of a novelty kind of bar, especially when you've got it's almost exclusively Beatles cover bands playing there. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not anymore. I mean, just go on the Twitter. They've got a full list of who's playing. Yeah, Steve Van Zandt. But even if it was, even if that was true, is that a problem? What Beatles cover bands? Yeah. Um, I guess not. No. I don't think it's a problem at all. No, I've never never really thought about it. I I would. I would like to see a Beatles cover band there, but I'd only go once or twice. Mm. Like you can't just keep doing Beatles cover bands. I think I could probably just listen to <laughs> Beatles cover bands quite a lot. I think I, that'd be quite satisfying. If I lived in Liverpool, I think I'd go to the cabin all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I probably would do the same. Matthew Street in general is just mm. a good place to go drinking. There's some good pubs down there. Um, you, you mentioned there that it's turned into a bit of a novelty. Mm. Now, as a, as like a, quite a proud Mancunian, mm. I would say Liverpool's an entire novelty city based around the Beatles. Hmm. I hope uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's some scouts listening that are gnashing their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, genuinely, like you can't fuck, you can't fucking move. I've seen the Beatles everywhere. I love that though. I 
I kind of, I kind of like it, but it, it strikes me. Don't as... you love sitting on a bench and John Lennon sat next to you? Isn't that fun? I love it. It's great. I, I just, I just think. I think they are because I think they, me and him would be really good friends I think he'd think I was really yeah. cool and be like oh yeah oh, Steve let's sit on this bench oh, let's have a chance I think he would I don't but um, there's a storage room outside the cavern as well there is yeah installed in the late 90s sorry you were saying I'm, I, I'm just I'm just saying that I think they play on it too much they absolutely play on it a lot um, like you know as I kind of jokingly said there are a lot of kind of Beatles statues there's a Beatles uh, is there a Beatles museum anymore there was at one point I think it's closed Um, it's still there still there it's 20 quid bloody ticket right Um, and you know merchandising shops obviously every everywhere every uh, it's everywhere and they were the capital of culture 2008 yeah like probably around about when I went actually so I went that year right and that's when I went to the Kevin Club and it was like there was no other culture in Liverpool apart from the Beatles that was my perception of it. Right. And to this day, I probably still think that. Is there any culture outside the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> I take it back. There's a good band called Queen. Right. They're oh. pretty good. Are they Liverpool? No. <laughs> I thought you meant there any other culture. Oh, right, 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 right. I'm sorry. There you right. go. Very okay. good, very good. Now, the thing is, it's almost like we're coming full circle here because we're talking a little bit now about the, the idea. Itself. Yeah, of... Beatles covers, Beatles cover bands, mm-hmm. um, this idea of the Beatles no longer being a band, a unit, an art mm-hmm. installation and becoming this sort of time capsule mm-hmm. for a certain era, for the way England was, the way the world was, yeah. and the way music was in the 60s. And the, the Cavern, especially more so than anything else, mm-hmm. Liverpool, but the Cavern especially... especially is that for a lot of people? Mm. I guess what I'm wondering, what I'm kind of wondering aloud, and of course, it's important to note that when you have things like Golden Slumbers in a John Lewis advert, mm. I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, is it such a bad thing? Is it a problem? Because I'm a massive Beatles fan. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to the ca- Cavern recently, but like I said, if I, if I lived near it, I would go a lot more. As Beatles fans, surely we should just be grateful that people still care about it so much and want to talk about it at all times. That is important. I think, but it, it relates exactly to that advert. Mm-hmm. It's like the over-commercialisation of them. Yep. It's like the sullying of them, almost. Like the, mm. the, like the Beatles Museum really annoyed me when it was 20 quid. Mm. And I'm like, why is it 20 pounds? And it was, it was okay. And yet that... But it wasn't that, that good. And yet the Golden Slumbers cover is presumably top of iTunes chart right now. I'm going to, I'm, I'm not checking, but I'm going to guess it is. It'll be up there. How many people are now going to listen to Abbey Road? How many 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 13-year-olds who've never heard of it are going to listen to Abbey Road now? How many, how many, I would, I will pose a counter question. Go on. How many people would manage to avoid the Beatles if they cared about that kind of music anyway? Well, that's important. There's a lot of people though. I mean, and you know, I think we're making this podcast partly for that crowd. A lot of people who think of the Beatles as five or six songs that they've heard a lot mm. on sort of really shit best of the 60s television programs mm. and don't really and haven't heard the, the brilliant songs like Golden Slumbers doesn't get a lot of airtime, really. Not really. And this is one of the greatest songs off their greatest album. I would, I would just say that if you are... To a whole new audience. True. But if you are going to get into the Beatles, if you're ever going to get into the Beatles, mm-hmm. an advert is as good a, re- a good reason as any. Absolutely. Because no. we talked about this. Because it's going to come up anyway. 
Yeah. The Beatles are going to come up in your life anyway. Another good example of that would be, um, do you remember Rihanna and Kanye West did a song with Paul McCartney recently? I did not know that. It's, it's actually rather good. Okay. Yeah, it's actually re- really quite good. But there was a lot of people who are Kanye West fans and Rihanna fans that didn't know who Paul McCartney was. There was a few. There was a few tweets saying, "Really good of Kanye West and Rihanna to give Paul McCartney <laughs> a, a, a singer-songwriter like Paul McCartney a leg up." And I'm like, half of me thought this has got to be facetious. Half of me, it's got to be trolling. But oh, I was like, geez. no, no, no you, to, to, to carry on to agree with your point, that some people genuinely won't know that. Yeah. But I would say, don't discover the Beatles via commercial means. Discover them in the exploration of music and art and culture. But you're going to get into them how you get into them, aren't you? And I guarantee that they're going to have a huge surge of of new fans because of this advert. Yeah. That we are both despise, apparently. Not a big fan. I'm, turn- I'm coming around on it now. Now, now I'm thinking about it. You know what, actually? I, I think there should be more Beatles songs and John Lewis adverts. I'm going to get you a John Lewis voucher for Christmas. Mate. I think that would be great. I hope I get you a secret I've got, um, I've got another Beatles brain teaser for you. Oh, God. Pressure. Okay, you ready? This one's harder. Now, you didn't get the first one, oh, which I thought was easy. Yeah. So this is even harder. She showed me her room. Isn't it good? Norwegian wood. Very good. <laughs> From Rubber Soul. Very good, mate. Very good Thank job. You. Thank you. Oh, I thought that was much easier. Oh, right. Well, okay, fair enough. I thought it was harder. Yeah, I guess it, I guess it's it, easy because I knew the answer. It's easy when you know them. <laughs> I guess it depends on, on what your favourite Beatles songs are. Indeed. It probably says a lot about what we like. It'll be interesting now to see when we keep doing these, which ones you get and which ones I which that's ones I think are easy and which ones you don't get. I have to throw some out to you at some point. No, no, that's not how this works. What? I have all the power here, Luke. I'm in the seat of presenting. <laughs> I'm in the seat of host. You, Therefore, I do what I like. You. I throw it to you and you know what? Go, go ahead, mate. No, I was just going to say. No, 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 shut up. Shut up. It's because I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm the one in charge. I get to decide who speaks, okay? Go ahead. You, you can talk. You can talk. There you go, you see, he's learned now. <laughs> he, knows. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. That is about I, I, it. Sorry, I was anticipating you, as soon as I speak, just going, oh, fuck it well, yeah, I mean, I was going to play it out. I was going to, you know, I was going to let, I was going to see what happens. Make either. it a bit. I was either going to wait for, you know, you to say nothing, at which point I'd, I'd demean you, or I'd let you say something, at which point I'd demean you. You'd demean me anyway, either way. Either way, it, it's pretty demeaning. I want to finish on this particular recording um, of some other guy at the Beatles, uh, at the Cavern Club, sorry, by the Beatles. Have you seen this before? Some other guy, what is, what is it? So some other guy was one of their first songs that was really popular. Oh, uh, right, okay. Amongst people in Liverpool, but it's the only synchronised recording with audio and music and, and visual that the Beatles made at the Cavern Club. Sounds brilliant, let's have a listen. Let's go. That was brilliant. Thank you for showing me that. So I. Right. That sounds lovely. You didn't get. To, you can watch this on YouTube. I assume is where you found it. We'll link it in the show notes. 
Sure, why not? Um, it's it's really lovely to see them kind of playing that young and playing twice. Playing two, playing the same song two times. Yeah. Because Granada TVS. Well, one for good luck. How did you feel as a as a, you know, a filmmaker watching them completely butcher the edit at the end there? Well, the thing is, well, I guess what you got to remember is they didn't know what it was, and as, as a guy who's filmed and recorded a lot of bands in my day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just, you know, you can't be asked. Can't be asked. Yeah. Do it a bit. Oh yeah, sort of sounds all right. There you go. Go for it, lads. Go for it. Sounds great. A bit like your attitude to this podcast. A bit like my attitude. Hey now. <laughs> hey now. That stunk. You take that back. <laughs> now, next week on the podcast, I say next week. Next time on the podcast, because God knows when we'll start releasing these. We're going to be looking at a different Beatles time, which is yet to be determined. I think it might be. I think we might do Hamburg. Yeah. I, I will probably do Hamburg. It's really fun. Those stories are great. I've been Steve Shanahan. I've been Luke Beard. And this has been with a little help from my friends. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yes, I get by.